Shelton, the critical thinker at large, coming at you for another hour of podcasting power or longer, we'll see, uh, here on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and with video here on YouTube. Hey, everybody, this week I am welcoming guests. Now, help me out because I butcher people's names routinely. Tom, how do you pronounce your last name? Beekbane. Beekbane, good. So it is a, Tom Beekbane. Good. Tom Beekbane. And you are the author of a book called Consilience. Am I pronouncing that right? Yep. It's uh, this one that you can see behind me. Yep. It's called How to Understand Everything. And apologies for the bombastic title, the boastful <laughs> title, Consilience, A New Way to See the World. Yes, exactly. I was intrigued. You, you reached out to me. And uh, of course, that title is very intriguing and is in a way... A little bit of a description of the um, journey I'm sort of on or trying to be on myself here, which is, I think, why we have some common ground, um, because I do want to understand everything. And I, I know it's a bit of a task of fruitless hopelessness. I mean, it's not like we're, as human beings, going to arrive to that point. But, you know, it's the quest that's the fun. It's the search. It's the journey. And uh, and I think you agree with me on that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you mind me asking you a question? Uh, please go right ahead. Because uh, I've listened to uh, quite a number of your um, podcasts and videos and, and, and really love them. And, and I'm Thanks. super envious of the way you can express yourself so clearly. And I, and, and I aspire to be half as clear. But I've sort of noticed a, a journey that you've been on because mm -hmm. like two or three years back, it, seems, it seemed as though you were more certain about sort of what was good and what was bad and what are facts and what aren't facts. And it seems as though as you've been going through your educational process, you're a lot more sort of circumspect. You know, there's lots of different ways to look at things and words mean different things to different people. Mm -hmm. And and I think we're at, we're ending up in a in a in a similar position. Maybe, you know, mm -hmm. we follow different routes. Is that is that a fair assessment of, of your journey? I think that's a perfectly fair assessment of my journey. And I'm glad that you actually noticed uh, because that's exactly what's been happening. I think that that is partly the product of, uh, I think, especially over the last six, eight months um, of, of work I've been doing in the university study, I mean, doing a master's program now, definitely gets you into a different headspace um, where you realize that uh, causation and talking about, and this was actually something a guest of mine said recently on a podcast as well, which I, which I very much am on alignment with that it's a tricky thing. And if you're going to say, I know what caused something, you better be sure, because there's a lot of things that cause mm -hmm. things to happen. And, mm -hmm. um, and I think it was the day that I, that I sort of hit on, well, let me share this with you and see what you, see what you think about this. Because one day I was kind of talking to my wife and I said, you know, if you want to look at why people act the way they do? Why do people do things, respond the way they do to things? We often try to isolate education, culture, race, you know, identity. Uh, we try to pull some one factor and make it more important than every other factor and say, well, this is the thing. This is why. This is what it is. When in fact, it's everything. The reason that person acted that way is 
everything in their life that led up to that moment, including everything you or me or other people said and did to them, everything they did and said in response, all of that is the reason they are now acting the way they're acting or doing what they're doing. And it's not a matter of pulling out one isolated thing and saying, well, this is it. And it's, and this is the thing that is the driving force, which is not, and now I'm going to, now I'm going to look like I'm backpedaling when I say it's not to say that you can't isolate these factors and talk about them, but I think we go too far. And this is why I'm not, why why I don't think I'm backpedaling because I say, I, I don't think, I think we go too far in saying well, if he was just better educated, he wouldn't act that way. Yeah. Well, if he just didn't ever take part in that religion, he would never have done that. We, you know, we say these things with confidence as though we know what we're talking about. <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I think that that's realizing that I think was a big day for me because it made me realize that I need to be a bit more open to other ideas and, and other views of things. Because yeah. just because I think something is a way doesn't necessarily mean that it is. That's the only way to look at it. Yeah. So um, over the next little while, uh, you know, we can discuss what consilience is. Mm-hmm. But but consilience takes one really deep on that whole matter. Um, and you know, I'm a neuroscientist by by um, degree. Anyway, I've been working in, in marketing and communications for the last. Uh, what forty years, but um, but but consilience looks at this whole idea of sort of what is knowledge and what is right and what is wrong and what is objectivity at the level of neurons in your brain, mm-hmm. and in a strange way, consilience uh, and an understanding of the brain contradicts the certainties of science, so to speak. So I'm gonna I'm gonna lay out some pretty weird and controversial um, and strange ideas to you, mm-hmm. and and um, you know your whole moniker is critical thinking. It is. So I want you to come after me. You know, imagine that I'm a Scientologist who's buttonholing you, <laughs> and right. you know you, you can listen, but you've but but ask the penetrating questions and come after me. Sure. Is that is that fair? Absolutely, and I okay. And, let's and, have, we'll have some you. fun. Yeah, absolutely. Let's say thanks for the invitation. So, I try very hard, of course, as you've seen in my in my videos and podcasts, to find common ground with people. But um, but skepticism and criticism is absolutely on the table. So let's go ahead and do it. What is? Let's just start at the beginning, then. You know, uh, as far as our audience is going, because I have the advantage of having read a lot of your book. What is? <laughs> Consilience, as you are defining it, because your your take on it's a little bit different than if you look up Wikipedia's definition and idea of consilience. So, uh, what? How are you defining this and approaching this? Yeah, well, well, I've defined it a number of different ways in the book, and I keep uh, refining the way I define it. And, and mm-hmm. so, if you look at some of the articles I'm, I'm publishing, you'll find it uh, uh, expressed slightly differently. And, and some people who read the book, they come away thinking, I still don't quite know what consilience is. And that's fine because, you know, I, be- I believe that concepts like consilience sh- should evolve and should change and, and, and we should make them our own, so to speak. Mm-hmm. But what consilience is, is the growing together of the different um, disciplines, the different sciences that changes the way one thinks about everything. 
And uh, consilience uh, has been happening in the sciences. So the physics and chemistry and computing and anatomy have grown together. There are no longer these boundaries between those, those, those academic disciplines. And my argument is that we, because of the, 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 the dissolving of those barriers and advances in neurophysiology and genetics, my argument is that we understand now, if you're brutally honest and look at the research, what's happening in the human brain, but we're still telling ourselves these mythologies about how special humans are, you know, how, how Homo sapiens is uh, so much better than every other species, and we use logic and reason, and we are conscious. And, and, I, and my argument is, well, actually, if you look at genetics, you see, f frankly, for the last 600 million years, things haven't changed as much as we think they have. So if you are brutally honest, and actually look at how the brain is working, you have to realize that all of these words that we attach to, you know, the way we go about things are fairly superficial. And our behavior isn't, and this, you can come after me on these, believe me, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. our behavior isn't the result of thinking. And I do the air quotes there. Mm. Well, what well describe that more because I because I because there are a couple points I have questions about with what you're saying, but I want to make sure I'm clear on what it, you're saying. So, wh what do you what do you mean we haven't really changed that much in 600 million years? That's a long time, and a lot of evolutionary change has occurred. So, what does that mean exactly? Yeah, yeah, it it does sound very strange. If I, <laughs> it's a, it's if a bit I, of a I statement. You in yeah. there? <laughs> you know, so uh, I don't want to get too sciencey on you. Yep, but um. The, the, the discipline of genetics has uh, undergone a, an incredible revolution in the last 20 years. Okay. And now geneticists can pretty much tell exactly what genes are where. And, 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 and you know, the genes that you have versus the genes that I have versus the genes that, uh, if you have a dog, you know, those genes or uh, a primate, you know, a chimpanzee. But the, the absolutely stunning finding is that animals that we have regarded as being completely different to us, uh, and there are two that have been researched beyond all others, and those are Drosophila, do you know what that is? That's a fruit fly. Mm. And another one called C. elegans, which is a tiny little roundworm that is almost invisible. Um, but these two animals have been researched more thoroughly than every other animal in the world. Mm. Um, to the point that this little animal called C. elegans, um, every single one of its cells in its body and, and, and the, the neurons in its uh, nervous system have, have been sort of documented. So scientists have actually created maps. And if you uh, Google these things, you can find um, three-dimensional pictures of, of these, uh, these animals. But the astonishing thing is that for instance, C. elegans, which is a tiny little worm, you can hardly see it, it's transparent, it only has like 900-odd cells. The things that are happening in those cells are extraordinarily similar to the things that are happening in the cells in our body. And so when uh, a scientist starts to uh, look into, you know, mental diseases like, um, uh, well, Asperger's or, or any of these other mental diseases, they very often start by looking at what ha what's happening in C. elegans. 
And so what you, at a cellular level, things haven't changed nearly as much as we imagine. And so the implication of that is that, <clears throat> you know, this incredible thing that we have in our head is actually um, as incredible in many, in all other animals. And, and our brain is actually less different than we believed it to be. Mm. And I, I notice, uh, I, I note that you um, sort of my claim that um, we, you know, can explain consciousness and you think, oh, no. <laughs> and indeed, a concept like consciousness, when we use the word um, in everyday usage, ha has overtones of um, spirituality and religiousness and, yes. you know, sort of uh, who you are. When, when I use the term, I use it in a post-consilience, that's air quotes, uh, way. Con um, consciousness is what animals use to create the picture of everything around them. So mm -hmm. it, consciousness is how our sense organs build up a picture of the world. Uh, and and, and my, my argument is if you just look at, the, look at the way our eyes work and our ears work, without all the preconceptions that, oh, you know, humans are so special, um, it's, it's actually pretty easy to see what consciousness is and how it evolved. Hmm. It sounds bombastic, but it actually, in a, in a strange way, it, it's very humbling because when you look around the world at all the different animals, you, you realize that you're not, we're not as special as we think we are. Well, I'm definitely down with that point. Uh, however, I do believe that there are some special differences with us in terms of evolutionary change that do put us, you know, in a, I think you can categorize and sort of, you know, put on various, what do we, what do we do in school? We, we create uh, the concept of ecosystems and, and mutual dependency and symbiosis and these kind of things. So I think you can categorize and relate these things together, but I do believe that you're right that we are not all that we think we are. <laughs> I do believe that you are on the right path with that. On consciousness, I, my first question to you about that is you is you the way you've described it so far, and of course we're talking in simple terms here, trying to trying to keep this at a at a layman's level. Um, you paint a picture of okay, well it's it's a product of perception, um, but I believe there's also another factor involved in this, which is um, maybe informed by some of my other reading from like uh, Lisa Feldman Barrett, who's done a lot of work on emotion and with the construction of emotion and has a theory of constructed emotions where she discusses uh, as a neuroscientist that and psychologist that the primary or one of the primary functions of the brain is prediction. And that it's constantly predicting what's going to happen. And that, um, and that is one of its main functions in terms of why, you know, what it does with those perceptions. We see things, we hear things, and we're constantly, the brain is constantly relating this to um, past traumas, bad experiences, you know, warnings, threats, you know, it's constantly doing threat assessment. And that predictive factor has a lot to do with our consciousness too, I believe. Uh, what would you say to that? I'll, I'll one-up uh, you and, and Lisa Feldman Barrett, if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah, please. <laughs> um, in the, 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 the traditional way of viewing the, the brain is that we, we take in things through the sense organs, take in sensations, uh, noises, sounds, whatever. 
Um, and then we think about those things, we process them, and then we come up with some actions. You know, we um, get thirsty or, you know, we decide to go shopping or whatever it is. Um, I, I believe that it's fairly uncontroversible that the brain acts in the moment. There is no, there is, there is no sort of going offline and then figuring out what you're going to do. The brain is always operating on the knife mm -hmm. edge of criticality. Mm -hmm. And the way it does that is it, you know, it takes in all of the, the sensations, uh, um, you know, through your senses while you're awake, um, but always uh, the, the, what, what's happening in your body, you know, your, your gut and, and, and uh, you know, every, every, and your skin. And um, it, when you're awake, it, it creates this, you know, this dimensional thing that is around us. But at every second, it is anticipating what could happen next. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And depending on, you know, depending on what, like, for instance, you're doing now, you know, you're, you're nodding. And so I'm, <laughs> I, I'm thinking, oh, yeah, he's coming along with me. He's coming along with me. But if, if you were sort of frowning, I would be preparing a slightly different course going forward. So, so what our brain is doing, not, not from minute to, well, it, it does it from minute to minute and, and, and week to week and, and year to year, but, but really the way it works is it operates from second to second, mm -hmm. actually from millisecond to millisecond, That's right. or at least in, in tenths of a second. And, and if it didn't do that, we simply couldn't play fast-moving sports. You know, there would be no such right. thing as MMA and tennis, um, because all of those sports require the body to be constantly uh, preparing to respond at every moment. And, um, and, and to do that, you know, per, per Lisa Feldman Barrett, uh, you're, you're constantly modeling forward. And, and if, for instance, you look up in the sky and you see a bird and it suddenly stops, you, you know, it, it would make your eyes pop open and you'd go, oh, my gosh, you know, what the hell's happening here? Because right. um, it, it, it was a failure of the brain to correctly predict what that bird was going to do. And that's where the double look, that's where the shock comes from. Because the normal course of events for your brain is it correctly predicts, and it's making thousands of predictions every minute, every really yeah. every second. And it's doing this, so it's constantly running slightly ahead of, of and predicting what's about to happen and, pre and preparing you to do what you need to do in that future yeah. moment. Can I lay a little science on you? Uh, and sure. tell me if um, I, I'm getting too sciencey on you. Yeah. Um, like everyone knows what the ears are for, don't they? They're for hearing. Hearing, yeah. Okay. Um, actually, probably a more balance important too. function is, is, is balance and, and sort of create, helping create this three-dimensional um, space. But, but let's stick with hearing for a moment. Sure. H here's a question. Um, why are there more nerves going to the ear than away from the ear to the brain? And why is it that the ear can actually create sounds? That, now, that's something you probably haven't read in a high school textbook, but it's very well accepted. And an audiologist uh, routinely uses these things called autoacoustic uh, um, emissions to test baby's hearing. So if you have a baby and the baby's having... Uh, an issue, uh, apparently with their hearing, take it to an audiologist. What the audiologist does is it it, it plays a, a tone into the baby's ear, and the the ear, if it's operating correctly, sings back. 
Okay. So what what this is actually what, this explain mechanism. That. What's that last bit there? The ear sings back. Back. Yes. The yeah. ear actually creates sounds based now, on memory or newly. Well, here's where it gets super interesting because you were talking earlier mm -hmm. about you know how we're products of every experience that we've ever had. Mm -hmm. Well, it's the same with the way the brain interprets sound. You know, whenever whenever the the brain starts to hear something, it feeds an expectation back to the ear. Yes, and you get this uh, the same effect that was used in radar in in the Second World War. Um, that the, the feedback actually tunes the system up. So the ear actually operates and, and the, uh, in association with the brain like um, like the, 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 the phrase um, completion on a cell phone, you know, when you're using your text messaging. Mm -hmm. auto, auto completion, you know, yeah. Autocorrect. Auto so as That's soon right. as you start saying something, the, the, ear, uh, the, the brain is telling the ear what to expect next, which helps you pick out the sounds that are important to you. Yes. Yes. I'm totally, okay. totally and, on board and, with that. Yeah. So that's just a, I, I'm just giving you that as an example of how the brain is always anticipating what's happening next. And it's actually feeding that, you know, back, back to the sense organs. Exactly. And a, and a perfect example of that is when I talk to my refrigerator, which you did <laughs> not expect me to just say. So you I probably, did heard or expected something different to come out of my mouth when I was about to, when I was saying that, and it gave you what a little- did, What does it say back to you? <laughs> right, exactly, right? Because you're trying to anticipate, right? And so there you go. So that's kind of, uh, you know, a, an example there for our listeners of how this works. And can, I, can I just butt in and tell you something yeah. pretty, pretty interesting there? <laughs> I mean, you, you, you fed me something a, li a little nutty. Mm-hmm. And my reaction was to laugh. Mm -hmm. And and my whole thing is that this thing that we have in our head, and I call it a neuronal orchestra because that's what's sort of happening in, in the cortex. Um, it, it's always um, sort of trying to make sure it's in sync with the person that it's dealing with. Mm -hmm. And and when you, you come across something that's unexpected, you know, I could act with hostility, like, how dare you uh, speak to a fridge? You know, you're, 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 you must be crazy. But in order to, to indicate to you that I'm on the same wavelength, I go, ha, 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 ha. And that indicates to both of us that we're actually still part of the same tribe. And I'm, I'm not a hostile alien form that um, feels threatened by you. That's a good does point. That, does that make sense? Absolutely. That's a really good point. And it also is a reflection, I think, of... Um, I, I don't know. Let me let me run this by you, just since we're talking about stuff. Uh, humor, I think, the laughter, that response, I think, is a is a um, it's a surprise. It's a it's a failure to predict. You know, the thing about comedians and stand up is they're always feeding you lines that you didn't see coming. You, they, the setup is the familiar. The setup yeah. line is here's a situation where you're familiar with this stuff, and now here's a zinger. Yeah. And the zinger is funny. It's, it's like they, it, you know, they, they describe this bird flying in the sky and then they, it, it stops. Yeah. And, and, and you go, and you both like, and in order to sort of indicate that um, you're okay with that, you, you, you sort of have a, a stress release, which is the laugh. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. As opposed to, 
And that's and and in and in and in many contexts, a friendly context, for example, you're at a club, you're with friends. There's no tension. There's no big deal. It's ah, oh, I was surprised, but it's no. There's no consequence. There's no negative consequence to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, isn't that funny, right? Yeah. And, and we really do quite a. And and the more surprised we are, the bigger the laugh, the bigger the reaction. You know. Yeah. Um, but you can take that same setup and that same sort of uh, what's going on up here, and you can be home alone in a dark house, and you get surprised. And the response is not necessarily laughter. It's fear. It's terror. It's, oh, 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 oh what's, what's yeah. going on, right? And you're imagining all these horrible things. And then once you find out, there really is no fear. Oh, it was just the window banging. It was just the curtain. It was just the dog. It was just the cat. Whatever it was, whatever thing. Ha, 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 ha. Now comes yeah. the tension release, right? Yeah. So it's really interesting yeah. how, this, how this interplay works because it's actually same mechanisms can cause a laughter response. But until we get that release, it's actually could rev us up to a fear, a terror, or an anxiety response. Or, for example, British culture, you know, they're so uptight. They're so conservative sometimes. And you're, Aren't they awful? Yeah, I mean, not that <laughs> Americans aren't either. And, uh, but it's the culture. So, for example, your example of, uh, you know, somebody might say something off or the bird might do something weird and the response is immediately, well, that's not right. That shouldn't be that way. And it's, it's almost an offense. I'm offended that this is that this is acting this way, you know, because yeah. things are supposed to be a certain way, damn it. And that's yeah. almost the definition of conservatism. I mean, it's the way we respond and react to these things says so much about our core personalities. And I think that's where we see really interesting differences in people, you know, to speak to what you were talking about earlier with the genes. I think I, my analogy is Legos actually, because it's kind of like you got the same building blocks, but look at the variation that you can create. Exactly. That's a, that's a great, uh, great analogy. Great metaphor. Just going back to the the whole thing about, um, British and humor and and so on. I mean, you know, I I was brought up and educated in the UK and I, and then I came to Toronto. Um, but like humor is extremely, uh, dependent on, on culture. Yeah. So, um, I mean, Americans and, and British people just have a different view of what's funny. Um, the the British tend to appreciate sarcasm yes. and irony, yes. and um, and and frankly, I do too. <laughs> Me too. The pythons are some of my favorite. <laughs> but um, but it but but I've I've upset um, so many Americans because you know my quote dry sense of humor um, it irritates people because they think I'm actually being sensible and and making a. A, a, a correct observation when I'm actually saying something that I think is so stupid that um, you know we all should recognize that it's funny, but they just, they they just think oh you know he's just being he's 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 just being uh, hostile and averse. Yes, so, I I wish I could say the same has uh, not never happened to me, but it happens to me all the time. Because I, I have this very dry sense of humor sometimes, and I just say stuff without necessarily any look on my face. Like, you have to be looking me in the eyes to kind of get it, that I'm yeah. joking, right? And so sometimes people, I'm joking, I'm totally joking, and people take me completely seriously. So. Yeah. I mean, if yeah. you've got to put emojis after everything that you write and say that's 
funny. I mean, it, it, it ceases to be funny. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but un- unfortunately, that seems to be the culture these days because, you know, we're, we're getting so touchy. And um, that's right. What do you think? Um, what do you think is are some of the roots of that or, or some of the forces behind behind some of that touchiness, this everything is offensive now sort of thing? Oh, my gosh. How deep do you want to go? How, how as deep as you want to answer? <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> it ties I, I, in, I think, with a lot of what we're already talking about. Yeah. Um, to, to, go, to go pretty deep on this, mm-hmm. I, I could go deeper. But I think that we're living through a, a time, and, 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 you know, sociologists and many people that you um, hear about online these days, like, you know, Jonathan Haidt and so on, mm-hmm. uh, I think concur with this. But, um, but we're, we're living through a time of extraordinary stress. And, and the causes of that stress are social media, well, now COVID, uh, you know, economic issues, um, you know, and and I and I think a lot of the time, the um, the, the 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 causes of the stress aren't really recognised, and the, and and the people that are most stressed out, of course, are, are, are like mostly teenagers. You know, they're they're trying to find their f- footing, um, but the the future looks pretty strange, and we haven't really got our head around you know, how to use social media and how to um, have good conversations online. You know, we tend to be reacting to things with with emojis and, you know, thumbs up and, uh, you know, orange man bad and, and whatever it is. Um, and, and so consequently, uh, we're, we're becoming more and more sort of superficial and, and worried about, you know, how many likes and, and uh, um, retweets we're going to get. And, 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 and because of these huge changes that are coming about because of uh, the internet, we, people are feeling stressed out. And they're finding ways to articulate that stress that frankly aren't necessarily, in my view, terribly logical. Um, it could be political. You don't say. You know, it could be climate change. You know, um, mm-hmm. you know the the whole world is warming up and we're going to burn up, uh, or it could be, you know, all, all these other things that, that uh, you know, QAnon and Black Lives Matter. They're all expressions of an underlying uh, underlying anxiety. We're not sure where we're going, right? And and consequently, um we're gravitating to our separate little tribes and those tribes are uh, evolving in ways that are t- taking us apart um and 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 it's it's not leading to somewhere good right now we we have to find ways to not necessarily agree we have to find ways t- to discuss difficult issues Yes, I think that that's. Ex- I think you're spot on with that. I think that, um, in fact, this is reflected in the recent interest in cults, high control groups, high demand groups. Um, it, people feel more out of control. They turn to these groups for answers. These groups routinely betray them. 
take advantage of them, even ruin them. And then mm-hmm. they then they then they're even more uh, unable to predict, unable to know the future. I mean, what you're talking about is the uncertainty of the future, which really comes back to that business of what's this thing for? Prediction. Yeah. What's it trying to do? Tell where things are going. And what is it harder and harder and harder for us to do these days? Exactly that. Yeah. And I believe that there's another factor that might be at play here. And I wanted to pick your brain about this. I don't have a study. I don't have a consensus. I don't have like even a, 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 a you know, a, a, a written down theory or hypothesis here. But it's just, but the idea is basically, I'm wondering these days whether the internet or the even pre-internet, the the incredible knowledge base that humanity has built, the incredible communication structures and systems that we have built. I wonder if these systems and this this volume of information that is available to us are themselves acting to overwhelm our capabilities, our biological capabilities. Every single one of us is only capable of having our attention on so many things at one time. And we are demanded by the way, certainly as the internet has grown, we are demanded to keep up fear of missing out, this FOMO, which I'm sure you've heard of, um, it's a stressor all by itself. If I, you know, something that the 20th century, 21st century average citizen now has on their mind that the person in the 18th and 17th century I don't think did is what's happening in India right now. Oh my God, what's going on in the UK right now? These are things you can't do anything about unless you're in a position of power or, or in a special position. You're just a regular Joe. You can't do anything about any of this. And yet you are overwhelmed with bad news, with conflict, with controversy, with unpredictable outcomes all over the world. And it's made out to be that you're supposed to be doing something about it or somehow this is your responsibility or it's in your bailiwick or something. And I believe that itself is overwhelming us um so that's yeah what do you think (laughs) um i i agree um i would add a couple of other sort of ways of looking at it though yeah sure um i think that because there's so much easy access to information and news stories from around the world um and because sort of reputable uh, news organizations have been hollowed out. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the role of journalists has had to change. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, um, journalists have less incentive and, and they're just simply not paid to dig into subjects deeply. So, you know, when you hear about something, a war in Syria or whatever it is, um, or... or um, uh, digitalization or, or or the effect of robots on society n- n- now you're you're immediately responding to all these like superficial little stories mm-hmm. um rather than what used to happen more often which is in the you know the large new- news gathering organizations there would be journalists who would spend you know a few days or a week or two sort of digging into things and actually sort of sorting out the, the chaff, the, you know, the rubbish from the good ideas. 
and that that's happening less and less and less but just simply because um well you know our media has gotten hollowed out um and, and it's not their fault it's just a, a consequence of, of of the internet and 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 this free and cheap access to quote you know knowledge and information there's there's another aspect that I just want to lay on you mm -hmm. that I think is um, it's very significant and and I've sort of noticed it um, because my attitudes to many things like science, for instance, and um, and information and knowledge, my my attitudes are completely different from the attitudes of the younger generation, and and I've been trying to figure out why that is. And I think the reason is, is because when I went to university and, and college and school, I was never given a multiple choice question, uh, exam of any sort. Mm. I, I was never taught that um, the world was composed of facts that were either right or wrong. Um, you know, we, we were expected to draw pictures and write essays, uh, you know, in mathematics, of course, things are right or wrong, but we were encouraged to think and analyze and what i'm what i'm seeing more and more is this this um this sentiment that you know you either believe in science or you don't and 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 to me it just makes absolutely no sense because science is made up of billions of people hundreds of thousands of ex uh, of institutions uh you know constantly evolving ideas so how, how do you believe uh, 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 and treat that as factual or non-factual? It just doesn't make any sense to me at all. But every day in the media, you're, 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 I'm, I'm seeing, you know, you've got to believe, you know, believe the scientists, believe the experts, believe the facts, believe this. And, 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 and I, it doesn't make any sense to me. And I think it's meaning that people are less able to listen and analyze and discuss because they think it's all a question of like answering multiple choice questions and getting it right or wrong interesting does that make any sense to you it, well it does and i have a number of of things here uh to respond to on this first thing before i forget is doing it doing this program i'm doing right now through a uk university i have very much come to appreciate the differences in the two systems of education and the certainly a higher education. Um, and um, my experience so far with this, I mean, we have not had one pop quiz, one test, one anything like that. We are graded on our essays at the end of the terms. And those essays demand critical thinking. Um, they demand that you show that you read the material, not just you, you don't get credit for showing up at the lectures. You don't even have to show up at the lectures. But your final papers better reflect that you understand this material and that you're thinking and engaging with it. And that's how you're graded. And I find that to be very refreshing, to be honest with you. I, you know, and it was interesting because I actually did discuss this with one of my professors who made the point that American students often come at education very different than UK students, much more... Um, paranoid, <laughs> much more anxious about missing any little tiny fact that they might get asked about in a quiz or exam, whereas the UK guys get to kind of chill a little bit more because they get to take their time to engage with the material and draw from it what they think is important and useful for their 
discipline activity, whatever. So, so I, so first off, there's that comment. Um, as far as worship of science goes and that sort of thing, certainly you are describing an appeal to authority fallacy that a lot of people do engage in. And there's no question about that. And you can go that direction with science just as easily as you can go that direction with religion. Fallacies are fallacies. And if you go, you know, putting too much faith into anything and thinking that it is the sole arbiter of justice, truth, facts, whatever, whether that's an individual like we do with cults, whether that's, um, you know, an institution or, you know, a subject like science, yeah. you're, making mm -hmm. a, you're making a logical mistake. There's just no question about it. Um, you know, this is why I stress context all the time. I'm trying to, I try to give people like simple rules to follow as to like, how do you determine or discern truth? Well, it's always context specific. You know, there's very few algorithmic rules of truth. You know, but what we I think, do I have... think the first rule, the first rule is always to be skeptical yeah. and, and to look at the person's motive. Like, you know, why are they saying that? You know, what's it what's yep. it doing uh, for their position in the world? And, and you know, very often it makes a lot of sense and it's honorable and there's no evil. Um, but but you have to understand where people are coming from. And, and if you do, then, um, you know, you can take into account that a certain degree of what they might be saying is is. Um, incorrect or misleading or That's right. ad adverse to your interests. Exactly. Let me throw this at you because um, here would be my basic counter argument on the science aspect of things, which is science isn't an authority and it shouldn't be regarded like that, like it's some unquestionable, you know, body of truth that, that is beyond, you know, skepticism or something. Um, I, the way I try to describe this or talk about this is that science is really just a method of discerning or discovering or predicting things, information. You know, you're trying to, you're trying to discover new things about the world or trying to better predict what's going to happen in the world. And science is a methodology to accomplish that. It's not an end result in and of itself. Science is constantly changing and evolving and moving. And this is why Every single person who's like, well, they said that yesterday and today they're saying something new, so, you know, screw science. And it's like, no, that's exactly what science is supposed to look like. It's supposed yeah. to be changing and evolving. So, so I'll, I'll just recount um, part of my journey yeah. and, and, and sort of the realizations that I've had. So um, when, when I was at, at school, I, I loved science and, and my grandfather was a veterinarian and my grandmother was a botanist. Um, on my house was full of science books and 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 when I was growing up I used to I was an introvert and I, I spent a lot of time reading those science books I had a microscope I spent hours and hours looking at drops of pond water um, and and I, I was fortunate that I went to schools that had lots of scientific equipment and we were expected to actually learn science by um, conducting sort of experiments of one sort or another and, and, and looking at things and drawing things. Um, and so I'm a huge believer in science. I love science. Mm -hmm. But in, in, in sort of trying to tear apart how our brains work, you actually realize that our, our brains don't operate using facts and logic. Yes. I mean, we can use facts and logic, but that's not how our brains operate. Yep. Our brains operate in the moment. 
And so in, in a strange sort of a way, if you ascribe to the scientific ways of thinking, you can't understand the human brain because you're looking for logic and rationality and modularity and all of those things. Um, and, and so that there are many, many different ways of looking at science. And, and, and you've sort of laid out the methodological one. I, I would also add another um, aspect of science, which is characteristic of every decent profession and every cult and every religion. And that is, it's an ideology. The ideology of science is that it aspires to truth. And through truth and honesty and um, this journey of discovery, mm -hmm. it is taking us to a better place, okay? Mm -hmm. It's actually taking us towards nirvana, heaven, you know, it's higher up the, the, the ladder of being. So it, mm -hmm. it's not just um, a matter of sort of facts and, and processes and um, uh, journals and what have you. It, it's also an ideology. Um, but scientists tend not to like to think of science as being an ideology because, of course, science is factual and, and, and um, uh, completely independent of emotion and, and, and the craziness <laughs> of humans. As if. Yes, I know. I totally get your position. And, I, and I've certainly heard those arguments. And um, I'm not saying that's your position, but you're just representing this, this idea. And uh, it's certainly true. You have to take it to the next level to get to what we're talking about, where you have to, you know, really acknowledge the frailty of human systems. I mean, we are, we, as you said, we, our brains don't operate on facts. That's not how our brains are put together. That has nothing to do with the function and purpose and activity. Chris, of this. mine does. Mine does. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Of course. Of course it does. <laughs> I, I, um. Anyway, Thank you. Yes, Thank you. Yes. But uh, yeah, that's kind of the deal. But it's interesting how this what we're the discussion we're having right now. I don't know. This is a discussion that could have happened 30 or 40 years ago. I mean, we've made a lot of breakthroughs in neuroscience over the last 30, 40 years, haven't we? I, I, I would say um, I, I would I would say the real breakthrough. Well, actually, in neuroscience, in a strange sort of a way, it's been log jammed. Um, and, and, and most neuroscientists would still tell you that the human brain is one of the most mysterious and incredible things in the universe. Mm. Um, I, I, I believe that's about to change. Um, I, I believe that uh, once we face the facts and, and look at, and, and not just look within disciplines, you know, don't look just within uh, neurophysiology or uh, biology, or physiology, or genetics, or uh, archaeology, or wh whatever it is. Mm -hmm. but, but once once you connect all of those different um, disciplines together and, and, and use the insights from all of the incredible thinkers and, and brilliant people that are operating everywhere, um, it, 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 we, we are on the cusp of a revolution. And uh, it, it, it's happened because of many, many different advances. And, and, and some of the, the most incredible advances are actually in, in computing and mathematics, because now we realize that not everything is sort of linear or random. You know, there's a whole world of mathematics that is related to, to chaos and, and emergent pheno phenomena. Th that's so, right. Um, 
Are you referring there to? I, I've only I've only scratched the surface of this, so I don't even have the terminology to use or the vocabulary to throw around. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about this in simple Simon terms because that's pretty much how I understand it right now. But it's something I cool. want to look into more, yeah. and that is the systems theory and the systems uh, and and computers and the chaos stuff. Um, there's a guy named Lex Friedman, his podcaster. He's been on Rogan a few times. I, I, I think he's a physicist or sort of computer guy. And, computer guy, yeah. yeah. He's, he's a hero of mine. I love his podcasts, and, and, I, and I really appreciate when he digs deep with um, some really cool, deep thinkers. Yeah, he's real good. I, I, I'd love to, to talk to him someday. Um, he made the point on Rogan one day about, about how um, you can start a system, you can create extremely simple rules for a system. You know, turn, you'll have a, a pixel turn on, and the pixel next to it will turn on if the one over to the diagonal right turns on. And then, but, but that turns on only under this, you know, kind of condition. Like, it's, it, there's, there's very simple rules you can create where pixels will start turning on and off according those to these are called, rules. Those are called cellular automata. Oh, okay, cool. And yeah. with, and you can watch this progress. Like you feed it, and then you let it go. You go, okay. Here's the here's the rule. Go. And before you know it, the, the, what emerges from this? This is a this is all an exercise, and what I would love to watch happen, and that is emergent properties start occurring, start emerging from this things you didn't predict, and almost couldn't have predicted. Extremely complicated behavior starts manifesting in these pixels as the picture gets more and more broad and complex and grows. Yeah. And eventually you get these like amazing uh, designs and pictures and, and behavior, actual behavior on the part of these little black and white. Cellular you know, automata. That's right. Cellular yeah. organisms. So, you could say. so, so let me see if I can lay a, lay a, a huge idea on you. Yeah. Okay. Um, and this, this is um, really, I guess, at the core of, of um, consilience. You can see I'm like bundling everything <laughs> into this consilience thing. <laughs> <Aren't you? laughs> it's like whatever I want. Boom, boom. <laughs> that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, so, it's, it's, and we'll, and we'll clarify why that's actually okay with this. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Um, so, so the traditional sort of scientific view of the world um, has been inherited from Abrahamic faiths and and this idea that the world is has been organized by God. You know, there are these different categories. Um, it's w w humans are on this scala naturae, you know, climbing um, towards heaven. Uh, you know, and 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 the the planets are um, are ruled by. Um, laws, you know, the laws of gravity and the mm. laws of motion. Now, when Newton came up with those laws, he was dead certain that those were the laws of God. Okay, right. there, there was no, there was, there was no doubt in his mind where those laws had come from. So, so science, the traditional um, sort of pattern of thinking in science is, is what I call top down. Uh, it's categorizations that have made been made by people um, through language. You know, there's books and there's flowers and there's all of the things that we, we see around us. And then there's, there are these laws. And, and of course, laws have to be created by someone. And uh, 
you know, who else but God? And so, so those those assumptions are, are built into the way science has come to us through the generations. Um, um, but in the last, I would say, 10, 15 years, and, and there's a book behind me called um, A New Kind of Science by a fellow called Stephen Wolfram. And, and if you Google him, um, he, uh, he, he talks about um, cellular automata and, and this, this new way of thinking about physics and everything in the world and the new way um, has come about because of the power of computation and um, an AI. Because um, in AI and machine learning, um, you don't you don't tell the computer exactly how to do things. You you let it figure it out. Okay. So uh, w with machine learning, the computer itself teaches itself. So um, you know if it's learning a game like Go or chess. Uh, the, the, the computer can actually just play against itself until it becomes better than any human being on the planet. Yep. Um, and and that's, that's a realization that is new to us because um, 20, 30, 40 years ago, if you were going to build a sophisticated computer, you, well, of course you need sophisticated uh, programmers who come up with, you know, in, incredible uh, rules and what have you. But this, this new way of thinking about the world is that... Um, that, that, that you can derive all of the quantum um, uh, phenomena, the behavior of protons and electrons and gluons and quarks and, 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 and hadrons and so on. You can derive those from very, very, very simple um, rules, very similar to what you were talking about. Mm -hmm. And then you sort of let it run. Right. And, and, and you get life and you get more complex life and you let it run. And, you know, to bring it, to what's happening in our bodies, like the, the, the traditional way of looking at, you know, human behavior is, okay, you've got a brain that's like a, a king, you know, telling our muscles what to do and thinking about, um, uh, you know, our plan in life and, 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 and what to do next. Well, well, if, if you look at um, embryology, which is how the, 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 the body actually constructs itself from a fertilized egg, you realize that there's no one cell that's telling the other cells what to do. All the cells are working together. So right. they organize themselves from the bottom up. So you have 20 odd trillion cells in your body. There's no boss cell that's like, uh, you know, where well, you do this now and you do the other and, 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 and what have you. It's a self-organizing system. It's an emergent system. And so that goes back to what we started talking about, which is, the unbelievable um, complexity of life took about like 2.6 billion years to evolve. And like all of the animals and the plants and everything you see around us, you know, only took 1.2 billion years. So, so, so the, the really complex sort of guts of the machine um, were, were created lo a long, long, long ago. And, and so, Anyway, just taking it back to this top-down, bottom-up thing. Mm -hmm. Tell me if I'm, you know, boring. Are you not boring, boring me? I'm tracking with what you're talking about here. Okay. Yeah, we've lost all your. All no, your no, audience. but I, but let's go. Let's let's get this bottom-up thing because I've also got a few comments to make about this in terms of how it analogizes out to society and cultures as well. Okay, cool. Yeah. So traditionally, science has been a top-down thing, categorizations and, and and laws, but over the last 
I'd say just 15 years, mm -hmm. maybe 10 or 15 years, scientists and everyone are going, oh, okay, well, actually, that isn't how the universe has come about. That isn't how bodies operate. That's not how the brain works. We're bottom-up systems. And you think, oh, okay, well, that, that is an irrefutable fact. It's a truth, okay? Um, I, I mean, you can posit God and spirits and this and that, uh, and, and, uh, and I'm cool with that. But, 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 but the way that, all, that the world is organized is from the bottom up. It organizes itself. And, and I would apply those same sorts of principles to human societies and say, if we're going to have strong societies, you need strong people. Uh, who have a, a good future. If if everyone is feeling confident in themselves, they're not going to get sucked into batshit crazy um, cults. That's right. Um, you know, they, they'll they'll be able to live a life that is fulfilling and um, productive. You know, make friends if they wish, have children. You know, uh, um, you know, clean up the environment, do everything that we should be doing. But it's. It's going to happen because everyone in their own right is feeling confident and strong. As soon as you start trying to organize things from the top down and say, oh, okay, well, let's, uh, you know, cre create these societal systems, uh, th th then, frankly, it, it's, it never ends up well. No, it all falls apart because of division and divisiveness and arguing and all that. It's... I think it seems to me that there are two basic points that you are sort of forwarding or put or positing here that I am totally on board with. And I've been sort of thinking through and wondering about and trying to figure out how to talk about even these two points. And, and, and one of them is this idea, this, this unitary idea, this, this, that we're all, we're all individuals. We're all separate. We're all very, very different and separate from each other. And we have to think about ourselves that way. Well, we do think about ourselves that way quite naturally, actually. But this is how we've modeled our societies is based on this way we view the world. And, and, and yet the way we view the world might not be how the world actually is. It's just how we're looking at it. But we've never been able to get outside that box until the last 10, 15, 20 years, right, where we're starting to consider Hey, wait a minute, top down. No, this isn't working. What, what about this whole, and this is the other, the other point is this, um, is this sort of, uh, let's look more broadly. Let's look at ourselves as part of, as units in a greater whole. We're integral to the system. We're not separate from the system. None of us are. It, it's kind of like, okay, it's, it's the old joke about you're not in traffic. You are the traffic. Yeah. Right? What's your second point? What's your and second point? And the second point, point is that um, me, um, oh, the multidisciplinary aspect of looking at all of this. Hmm. I, um, and that is really the, your dictionary definition of consilience too, which I think is where you're coming from is, um, and this is something I talked about almost in the first year I got out of Scientology. I started like, you know, diving into psychology and sociology and like, what is all this stuff really all about? And I start finding or I start seeing right away that the siloing of these different met, of these different studies and the fact that these guys don't talk to each other very often, the neuroscientists aren't talking to the psychologists, the psychologists aren't even talking to the psychiatrists anymore. I mean, as a body, I don't mean you'll find individual exceptions, but I mean, as a body, these are not 
how these how science has organized itself. It's siloed in the information. And so you have psychologists looking at you know, the problem one way, and uh, I don't know, a soci- well, a sociologist will look at that same problem from a very different perspective, bring a whole different set of rules and guides and ideas to it. And they're both right in their individual ways, but they're even more right if they come together and bring yeah. their information together and look at it in a more wholesome, integrated way. And that was a real frustration for me for a very long time. Is yeah. this is these different buckets or silos? Uh, as Sapolsky talks you know, you know, about those Chris, you're, you're articulating this so clearly and so perfectly that I I want to recruit you as the as the first um, archdeacon of the of the 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 the, the, the Church of uh, Consilience. There we go. <laughs> well, I, I I'm on board because I, <laughs> I want I want because I'm starting because this is the thing I've been really you know pondering for definitely the last year or two for sure is what if this whole model of our uh, and I think it was Lisa actually and some of the neuroscientist stuff even incognito which is uh, David Eagleman really got me, you know, the neuroscience stuff is really where I started thinking very differently about, about people. And I think that, I think the analogy, and maybe you could speak to this, is the Eagleman put out an analogy of the um, mold, slime molds. He talked about slime molds and experiments have been done. You can look this up where a, a single cell, like there's nothing there. There's no nerve system. There's no brain as we understand it, and yet this collection of cells can act as though it's an intelligent thing. It it has Mm -hmm. direction and purpose and intent. It can figure things out, and yet there's no nerve system. There's no brain that we would think of as a brain. There's no thinking going on there as we would describe it, and yet there it is doing things that are thinking things. So what's up with that? And that was, the I think, the germ of the idea that got me thinking, wait a second, maybe there's more to this, you know, I don't know. What, 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 what's your take on that? Um, yes, I agree. I mean, <laughs> I'll, I'll just sort of, um, I'll, I'll make a point um, that sort of takes us back to the sort of theories versus bottom up mm-hmm. um, by, by making the following um, sort of observation. Uh, I would say over the last um, hundred years, it was since, since Darwin, but but really, um, I guess in the early part of the 1900s, um, there was a belief in in, in the theory of evolution uh, as um, sort of viewed as a as a, 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 a an expression of competition. You know, competition between species, but but mostly competition between individuals. Yes. You know, where uh, we're sort of fighting with each other to pass on our genes, or our genes are using us to. F- fight each other in order to, um, you know, to sustain themselves. <clears throat> and that, you know, that that theory, um, there are a whole lot of things that are questionable about that theory um, that w- we don't need to get into here. Mm-hmm. But, but, it, but it's an idea that um, actually sort of led to eugenics and, and, and the First World War and the Second World War. Right. Like it, and it, it was an extraordinarily... Um, harmful uh idea mm-hmm. and um i I, th- I think it's fair to say that more recently and, and particularly you know with developments in a whole lot of different disciplines 
including uh, child psychology and, 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 and the way people learn, we're, we're realizing how interdependent we are and humans, individuals, um, well, actually, all mammals. We 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 simply cannot exist for one second, you know, from the from the point of fertilization for one second, without, you know, without being in our mother's womb. And then, you know, as human beings, we, um, you know, we're raised for 15, 20 years, and and now the primatologists have have made it pretty clear. That if if you're thrown out of your troop as a primate, but it's the same, you know, you know, in in human societies, if you're thrown out, um, it, in your case, you know, if you're thrown out of a, a church, you um, you don't don't necessarily fare well. You know, right. you you have to. We are dependent on each other, and and we're not just dependent on each other, um, you know, for 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 food and money and what have you. We're dependent on each other at very deep psychological levels and you're seeing this with the, the whole uh, covid pandemic big time um it, it's causing extreme mental anguish and um there, there are now quite a number of studies that show what's ha what's happening you know at the level of um neuropeptides which are these chemicals that suffuse the whole cortex and and elsewhere and um you know you you you, you for instance take a rat or a, a mouse and you isolate it and these chemicals just go nuts. So we're, we're realizing that social contact and this, you know, this 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 requirement to sort of feed off each other psychologically uh, is as important as food. Yep. Yep. Agreed. I totally agree with that. I am actually um, happy to finally find a path of knowledge or a, a a way of looking at the world that is really making sense to me in a way that that other ways that I've tried over the years to figure this stuff out have not this 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 makes sense to me in ways that that, that nothing else has um, and I've done deep deep dives on this stuff right and I've been talking about this yeah. stuff for years and by this, I mean this this business of whole uh, of community of togetherness of the, of mutual survival of the, of the fact that 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 it, it's it's very I'm very happy to find out that it's not just a moral position that compassion and tolerance and getting along is a good idea. It's actually more a scientific fact, and. And that really, for me, bolsters my position a lot for me. It really, it really, really, uh, you know, reinforces it because, because when you know what the chemicals are doing, when you understand that, that everything in your being is screaming to cooperate, to agree, to get along, to, to work with other people around you, because that's what actually makes us happy and brings us joy. You know, that's no, no. And, and, and this is embodied in so many places throughout our cultures. Uh, no man is an island, right? Um, you know, I am a rock, you know, all this crap, right? Like, like we know this at, at such a fundamental level. We've been saying it for centuries. Yeah. But, 
now we've got the science has now been progressing up to the point where if we can if we can go with it, if we can look at it straight, then we can understand that moving forward is a group activity, not an individual activity. Yeah, I'll tell you something that that I find very interesting though, mm-hmm. and that is um, human beings. Uh, we're very good at telling each other um, self-actualizing, self-affirming stories. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm. You know, Chris, you're an extraordinarily articulate and bright fellow and very, very handsome. Um, <laughs> um, but, you know, we're very good at that. Um, yep, yep. And, 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 and frankly, you know, who, who doesn't like being told that? Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> I know my face is getting all red right now. <laughs> but, um, I mean, w- one of the stories that we've been telling ourselves is that, you know, as, as, a, as a species we are brilliant because of, of um, uh, our rationality and our logic and our ability to think. And, and I'm actually saying, well, no, actually, if you, if you really understand the roots of our social nature, you can, you can uh, track those things back. And they're not particularly self-affirming and, 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 and they don't big you up um, because like for hundreds of millions of years, and, and, and sorry, I, I keep getting sort of evolutionary on you, mm. but, um, but, but, but uh, all, m- many, many animals, birds and, 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 um, and mammals, you know, we're very, very good at sensing uh, what's happening with other animals around us. And we, we move in concert. We look at the same place. We get anxious if someone starts staring at us. And it's the same with horses and, 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 and deer and, and birds, you know, they're just the same. Um, so, so that, that's one of the roots of our social nature. Another is the um, the being parented um, mm. uh, gene, mm-hmm. okay? Mm-hmm. Because as as human beings, you know, t- take a baby away from its mother, and there's immediate panic. That's right. Immediate panic, and it's deep rooted. And and here, here's a, here's a, a crazy, funny thing that I I find pretty amusing. We've always imagined that rats and mice are a pretty um, non-communicative, you know, they don't, they don't really, uh, say anything. Well, uh, you know, the last 10, 15 years, there've been so many studies now that, um, are documenting how they're actually chirping and purr- purring and, and, um, giggling even, you know, you can tickle a mouth, but it, but it's all ultrasonic. So we, we don't hear it, but you take a rat pup away from its mom and it starts screaming. Okay. Yep. So th- those same things are happening uh, in, in human beings. And that's the root of our social need to belong. You know, take us, take us away from the authority figure. And it's like, oh my God, you know, like something's wrong, something, you know, I, I, I need that person or that thing or that institution to provide that security. So we're desperate for that. And it, and it, and it comes from the being parented instinct, which, which, you know, doesn't big you up, does it? Well, not at all. And in fact, but it's but it's trying to, and especially in humans, where we're not fully developed until I mean, the brain isn't done until we're 25. I mean, we've got a we've got a we're unique that way. We have to come out after nine months because our head's too damn big. I mean, we've got <laughs> really seriously right. And then and then we we're one of the only animals on the planet that is not you know able to sustain ourselves after birth like at all, like we will absolutely 100% guaranteed die 
if we're not cared for. That is very, very, very human. And there you go. And it's um, absolutely fascinating because I think where I'm, I think a, a way I might sort of try to bring all this together is to say, you know, we've been looking at social hierarchies uh, as pyramids with a with a figure at the top and a whole bunch of people under them, right? Whether it's a cult, MLM group, club, whatever, school, you know, whatever. But we tend to overinvest importance at the top of the hierarchy, just to just to sort of you know you, you talk the top down thing. Absolutely. We 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 put all the admiration, all the love, all the support at the top. The cult leader, the parent, the figure, whatever, right? Uh, even in a family, the father. I mean, they do this in the evangelical groups. But the fact of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, and a much more accurate way of looking at this would be, it's the whole hierarchy that matters. It's not just the guy at the top. Yes. You know, it, it, it's, it seems like such a subtle distinction. But Can it's I express so it in a, in a slightly different way? Yeah, that that, that um, meshes with what you're saying, but it, yeah. it's a different way of looking at it. The, the traditional way of looking at power mm-hmm. is that you know someone at the top has power over you because you know because they have the money or the resources or the capital or yep. um, you know the army, and uh, that everyone else sort of falls into line because um, they're less powerful. I, I actually don't ascribe to that at all. Um, uh, uh, yeah, I think it's fair to say at all. Mm-hmm. The, because the, the people at the top only have power because the, the people at the bottom sort of want to do, you know, want to, want to fit in. Um, a, a far better way of looking at it is that, you know, everyone in human, uh, in society wants, wants to fit in and we need to look up to something. And, um, uh, you know, when there's a leader, that they can gin up tribal hostilities very easily. It's very easy to, um, you know, get one group uh, angry with another. It's very, very easy to do that. And we, we immediately, you know, hang together in our tribe. But, 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 but the dynamics happen because we want to fit in with our tribe. And, and of course, we look up, not because the person at the top is actually making you know, has power over us. Uh, you know, I've, I've been running an org- organizations, you know, for the last 20, 30, 40 years. And you, re- you realize very quickly when you're the boss of an organization that you can't get people to do things they don't want to do. Mm-hmm. Or, or you might be able to, to do it for a short time, um, but, but if they're half-decent um, employees or, or, or people, you know, if you're asking them to do something they want to do, they'll, they'll take off. Well, that's right. That's exactly right. And, and I think I've tried to embody this idea, or it, the idea has sort of evolved in my descriptions of these things by saying that the cult relationship, for example, between the leader and the followers is a codependent relationship. It's not all from the leader. Correct. The leader is powerless without the followers, and he knows it. He depends right. on those followers just as much as the followers are depending on him. And in fact, with the with the narcissism, with the malignant narcissist, especially, you have you have a leader who absolutely must have these people following him. He's not whole until they are, right? Yeah. Or admiring, loving, you know, whatever him. So, 
So this codependent factor, I think, is kind of what we're talking about here and the fact that we all feed energy into this system and there, and that's what gives the system power. And we tend to look at the differentials between, like, it's real popular right now to look at things in terms of power differentials. But what yes. that does is it tends to de-emphasize the power that all the individuals at the lower levels, quote unquote, have. Yes. You know, the group doesn't exist without them. The, the, yes. the activity doesn't exist without them. So just by yes. being there and being part of it, you are part of the power of that system. And, if, and it's a viewpoint shift. It's a different way of looking at it. And I recognize that because I don't want to pretend that abuse doesn't happen, trauma's not real, and, and, and it's all just an illusion. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to try to push in that direction. It's more of if we can change the way we're thinking about and looking at this stuff to be a more accurate reflection of what it really is, rather than this illusion we've created for ourselves that the leader is all and we're nothing. Yeah. It, that's the change, right? It's not, it's not yes. that reality changes. It's how we perceive and interpret the reality that needs to change. And if we can do that, we will see these power differentials really vanish very quickly, I think. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, the way I, I look at it is, is um, to uh, acknowledge that, Everyone is different. I believe that everyone is different. Everyone is unique. And um, the people that tend to um, take on, on positions of power um, are people that, that um, really, really crave sort of being looked up to, mm -hmm. which is, uh, um, you know, is something that's been plumbed into our genetics for, for hundreds of millions of years. Mm -hmm. um, but... You, you you do get sociopaths and psychopaths in positions of power and and and, and horribly evil people, and uh, we've got to be um, educated by people like you as to how to recognize those people. But but the, the harder thing, and, and this this is where it gets really really interesting and controversial. The harder thing is, can we individually stand up? to the, the the currents that are around us that are demanding that we fit in and i i would say that currently in society there are, are huge um pressures to um to fit in with some ideas that i personally think um are going to lead us to destruction mm. So we have to be very honest, uh, if we can, and strong, and 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 speak up for free speech, for instance, and the ability to discuss. Because right now, certainly in some segments of academia, that's under threat, big time, and that is extraordinarily pernicious and um, counter to the ethos of the United States. And, and the declaration That's right. and, and everything that the country that the, the, this fantastic country stands for and and we've got to safeguard that I, I could not agree with you more because the system breaks down if the if the individual components of the system can't talk to each other can't coordinate Sorry. can't work things out 
and that's and that is where we're headed right now with all with the cancel culture and the and the book burning and all the other nonsense. We've been doing this crap for centuries, but we're now at a scale. See, the thing, the problem is, you know, you could do a book burning, or and that was just in the little town. That was just in the little village. That wasn't affecting everybody. Now we're on the internet. Now something that somebody does in in Tallahassee might actually matter to a guy in Arizona, whereas it never would have before the internet. They didn't even know of each other's existence. And that matters because it it, it kind of expands the community to the entire world. And we're talking 8 billion souls. So hello, you know, they're talking about like, oh, and and this speaks, of course, to the overwhelm and stuff I was talking about earlier, too. Yeah. So I agree. I agree completely. I think that we, we, you know, the freedom of speech thing, oh, boy, I got, I got, I'm very, very devoted to that idea. Um, I mean, if I had to choose, if it had to be a binary choice, it would be say anything rather than, you know. Me too. Yeah. Let let the crazies, let the crazies be as crazy as they want to be, as long as they're not going to stir up um, violence and animosity. You got it. Um, Yeah, let them, let them go. Like if if they want to believe the earth is flat, go for it. If um, you, you want to, you know, believe that the, you're going to, return you know billions of times over billions of years go for it and in fact that's right yeah that's well exactly right and i don't think you'll find and if somebody wants to dig and and maybe you know it's in there somewhere but i don't think in all the years i've been doing this that i have ever said ban scientology shut down you know don't give them the right to speak take away their you know their rights i that has i think my message has always been the opposite of that because instinctively i've always felt this way that that it is you know and it's been expressed in lots of different ways one of my favorites i guess or it's not my favorite but it it works is you know is the marketplace of ideas you know as you go you argue your position you get on a soapbox and you say here's where i'm at and people will listen and they'll go you're nuts or they'll go hey i think you got a point and that's how this should work. It shouldn't work some other way, as far as I can tell. Yeah, you know. And this is all I'm, part I'm, of that. I'm, you know, I'm. I have to say, I, I came across Scientology. Um, I guess in about 1980, when I mm-hmm. first came to Toronto, um, there was a a store on Young Street, and it had all these dynastic book it, books, um, sort of in the window, and there were always a couple of people outside, you know, with clipboards, and uh, I I had to walk past that place. Um, on the way to my work, I, I worked at Pepsi Cola, and um, and and I was always interested in science, and, and I was a bit skeptical about dialectics. But I I went and I I did the the IQ test. Mm-hmm. Now I I never score very well on IQ tests, frankly, but for whatever reason I scored I don't know 135, and and um, they sort of looked at me and uh, and they could tell I I wasn't feeling um, sort of um, insecure and 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 uh, um, um, fearful, and and so they they sort of reluctantly let me disappear. Um, but but I, I think it's it's um, always fun and instructive to be able to sit down with people from all different backgrounds and and genuinely listen to them and genuinely sort of understand them. Now, I, I did try and read Dianectics or whatever it's called. Um, and, and frankly, I, you know, I, I got through like a chapter and a half and I, I, I actually went to look for the book um, before, you know, we got on air and, and I, I must have thrown it out, which is extremely rare for wow. me to do that. 
Wow. Um, because I don't throw books out, but I, but I, I, I clearly did. Um, but, but nonetheless, no, no matter how, how crazy the person appears to be, you know, sit down, genuinely try and listen and understand, but, you know, do what you do, which is ask difficult questions or penetrating questions and be confident enough in who you are to not feel that you need to be beholden to someone with a batshit crazy idea. Exactly. Exactly. Ideas are a dime a dozen. And if people could kind of get that idea and understand that ideas aren't valuable, ideas are just ideas. <laughs> we have millions of them every day. <laughs> you know, it's just not that big of a deal that an idea exists. And the, you know, and even if it's objectionable to you, even if it's awful to you, even if it traumatizes you, it's just an idea, you know, and we really need to kind of like lower the temperature on some of that stuff because it's become a bit nuts when words are violence and, you know, these simpleton thought stopping mantras and cliches that people, you know, tend to pass around these days. It, we, we really got to kind of come out of that thinking. I agree. Yeah. Well, so I, anyway, so you're my first recruit. Um, to, uh, <laughs> well, I'm down. The Church of Consilience. Yeah, let's do it. I, uh, I, <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know about that, but I will definitely be happy to endorse the book. I have actually uh, enjoyed reading. I've read two chapters so far. I thought it was quite interesting. And, um, and so I will definitely plug the book for you. But I will also say that I think there are future conversations here. I, I think I'd like to move toward wrapping up for today because I think we've covered some really, really thinking territory and I don't want to overwhelm my viewers, but um, I wasn't sure where this conversation was going to go, but I think we have covered some basic things that have been on my mind for a really long time and I've been tr fumbling around trying to talk about them without being sure about myself. And so thank you for giving me, you know, something to bounce off of here. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. yeah I, I, I wasn't sure how it was going to go, of course. Um, <laughs> but but um, as you read in my book, you'll read in my book, you know, I, I regard sort of interactions with people like canoeing down a, a river through white water. You, you know, you can always have fun. It, 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 it's risky, but, you know, you're always watching for the next um, whirlpool and drop and, and, uh, and you can always get wrapped around a rock. But um, in this particular case, it's been um, just a slice, uh, just... Yeah, pretty pretty good Surfing stuff. the rapids with you. Yeah, exactly. I think um, I think I'd like to do an episode with you, perhaps in the near future, on trauma. Yeah, and our brains, and some of what you're talking about with that, because because um, yeah. I think that I think that there are some insightful things. If you like, again, if you just kind of, you know, we, we've been looking at it, it, it again. It's not a matter that objective reality changes. I mean, stress, trauma, anxiety, all this stuff exists. We're not trying to take that away or say it doesn't exist or say it's a fantasy or an illusion or some nonsense like that. And it really, it, I only say this stuff because it's wild to me how, how people will, will interpret or misinterpret some of the things I've talked about sometimes. So, so I'm not trying to go in that direction at all. It's, it's really just a matter of, a, it's a reframing and, and, it's a, and it's a constructive one. It's one that, that leads to better solutions, better understanding, a more accurate reflection of reality. Yeah. Well, um, I'd, I'd love it if you read my book. I think you'll mm -hmm. find lots in there that'll really stimulate your mind. 
Um, if, if you start um, you, using it in your um, in your essays in your course at, at university, you'll probably find they throw you out. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> but I, I would say that there's one area that I, I don't feel terribly comfortable about covering, and that's stress and stress and trauma, mm. for the simple reason that, frankly, I've I've led a blessed life. You know, touch wood, and um, I, there are many many things that you and I can really dig into. Um, but you'll ha- you'll have to you'll have <laughs> okay. to explain the trauma thing to me. Good. Well, let's uh, we'll we'll figure that out. Okay. Awesome. Chris, it's been an absolute slice. Yes. Thank you very much for uh, for being on my show here today. And folks out there, any questions, comments, feedback, go ahead and leave it in the comments section. Um, and uh, if you are enjoying my show, of course, uh, you can always support it through Patreon. I would very very much appreciate it if you would do that because. That is what keeps these lights on and keeps this show going here. (laughs) And of course, I am putting a link to this book, Consilience, in the description section below. So please do check it out. I think it will be well worth your time. And it's not a heavy-duty, hardcore academic read at all. It's very easy to read and understand. So that all being said, I will see you guys next week. Bye-bye.